0: Okay. Well, welcome to the latest episode of EdTech Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. I'm glad you found us uh, with me today and old friend and colleague. I guess I shouldn't say old Keith, right? We're just mature. Uh, Keith Kruger, CEO of Cozen, uh, a, a legend in the EdTech community. Uh, we do go back quite a while before iPhones, I think. It may be just... Uh, maybe almost at the turn of the century (laughs) where we've been talking about a lot of uh different topics over the years uh it's a great pleasure to have you on at what i think may be one of the most momentous moments in time when it comes to ed tech so thank you very much for your time keith
1: great to be here it is uh unusual that uh i guess Uh, this is our moment (laughs) so um you know we some of us like you and i have been talking about it for a long time but i think uh, the rest of the world is talking about it now
0: very much so and you know it's uh it's a bad joke but you know all it took was a global pandemic right i mean all of these topics
1: a good (laughs) disaster to get people's attention
0: yeah i mean but just you know looking at uh you know your recent um EdTech leader uh, survey th- that just came out, I thought had a number of uh, you know, astounding uh, statistics that really puts forth what we were just mentioning, that this really is a, a moment in time that is unlike any other. Um, maybe we we start off, can you talk a little bit about the survey and and talk sure. about uh, maybe where it is in the context of surveys that you've done in the past? Yeah. Uh,
1: so this is a survey that we do and it's of uh, IT leaders, whoever the lead person is with school districts. And um, we had about 400 uh, res- uh, 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 s- survey people who took it uh, across the United States. And um, you know, some things continue that we've seen for a number of years, but I think you're right that there are some real interesting things that really changed in the last year. So you know, digital equity have always, uh, over the last few years, been high, at least conceptually, of you know a concern for district technology leaders. But when we asked, you know, are you doing anything about it to provide, particularly outside of school, we would now say home, uh, access for students that didn't have it, um, just a, a year ago. Um, a, about half said that they didn't provide off-campus uh, services. Um, that leapt to uh, 95% are doing something in 2021. And so um, it isn't just that there's a heightened awareness, there's been a tremendous new scope of work around that. Another big area that we're, we always have been surveying over the last few years, the number one concern of IT leaders is cybersecurity, um, but the pandemic has really uh, brought that through the roof. Uh, and you know, outside of the survey, we know that you know ransomware—it's been on the daily news, the consumer news—with uh, uh, pipeline attacks and other and other uh, uh, other concerns. But school districts are really targeted. In fact, in December. Uh, MSISAC, FBI, and Homeland Security put a joint statement out saying that uh, the major that it's the that K twelve is the most at risk public sector for cybersecurity, and that was generally why we're seeing our IT leaders saying that it's a concern. the The surprising thing is that even with that saying that it's your number one priority, this year we asked, we went through a number of the highest risk uh, potential attacks on, on school districts, including ransomware and phishing. And, and when you get to ask them, you know, is this a, a low concern, a medium concern, a high concern? Um, actually, CTOs are, are minimizing the specific or underestimating the specific poss- possible cybersecurity attacks. And only about one in every Four or less districts have a full time equivalent of someone working on cybersecurity. Um, another really interesting data point that I think is very much about the pandemic is that there are a whole lot of new services that districts are providing, both technology and non technology related. Uh, things like, you know, three quarters of districts are doing contact tracing, about seven. said they're doing more cleaning of services, of of devices. Uh, 51% are uh, testing temperatures of students and faculty to see if they are sick. Um, A a lot more focus on social-emotional learning, um, more counseling both for teachers and students, more telehealth options. And I think when you step back, we asked what kind of, in the technology department, do you have enough people to um, provide the support that you need to? Um, Overwhelmingly, what we saw with the pandemic funding, and there's been a lot of money that's flowing through the system to address that, it's been for devices and applications, but it hasn't been for people. Mm. And so this audience is very, very stressed. Yeah. Um, Yeah.
0: Well, uh, let's go back to, the, to to your first point, uh, when you talk about 95% of districts now, not only giving thought to the idea of providing access outside the school, which means home, but actually doing it. I mean, does that mean that from this point on, school districts are becoming internet service providers?
1: I don't think they're becoming, I don't think many are becoming internet service providers, but I do think that, uh, you know, and when we ask the follow-up question, you know how are you doing that? Hotspots is, is without a question, or LTE-enabled um, devices are the primary strategy. Um, and that's a, a good, sensible strategy for many students, although uh, we're definitely, with other research, finding there are problems uh, even with that. And it certainly doesn't solve uh, the problem for students in more rural or remote or even extended areas of, of urban areas. And it, it also doesn't work in some places where, where um, you know, you have trailer parks or uh, apartment buildings with large numbers of low-income students. So, it, unfortunately, there's not a simple uh, uh, switch that you can, you know, go out and buy a bunch of hotspots and solve it for every student.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah there, and there's also the, um, the situation where you're talking about institutional strategies versus consumer strategies, right? I mean, at and has just recently put up $4 billion worth of subsidies, uh, which is a great, which is a great effort on their part. I recently spoke to a, a superintendent of schools uh, in suburban uh, Detroit. And she's like, that that's all great. But many people in my community still will not reach out to get that because they've had problems paying their bills in the past. So uh, th- there's so there's a little bit of a disconnect. And she says that she wanted the she wanted to take on the responsibility of herself to be that inter- intermediary and make sure that the students are getting it via the school versus maybe the parent or the grandparent or the aunt or you know mm-hmm. wherever they are. Um, Are there ways, do you think that we can systemize this, if that's a word, or, you know, to kind of put it together to where we've always talked about digital equity, right? It goes and events, and uh, it's always been a conceptual thing. And here it is. Now we have that moment, as we said. Um, How do we we layer it? How how do we kind of get through the red tape?
1: Yeah, and I I think that um, a lot of school districts are going to have to think beyond hotspots. And in fact, we're we're doing a lot of research on that with the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative, where we um, actually looked at real-time data for 750,000 students in 13 school districts across the country. And what we found was, Video, uh, you know, you're old enough to remember, you know, video killed the radio star. Well, video killed the network if you're working at home. Right. It's, it's, uh, you know, 85% of the network traffic now for students doing remote learning. Now, um, the good news is, is that at school, the networks are getting more and more broadband powerful. So this is the first year that we have a majority, 61% of school districts say that they've reached the the FCC's broadband goal for at school, that's a gigabit per second per thousand students in all of the schools. That is dramatically up. I mean, just uh, a year ago, that was a 38%. And the year before that it was 21%. So at school, we've seen big pipes coming in, meaning faster broadband and Wi-Fi at school. What we're hearing in this survey, though, is that for students that have been learning at home, and we think, um, you know, the homework gap doesn't stop when kids come back to school next fall, um, so we're still going to see big challenges around um, students from home, because it, 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 these hotspots and the and the networks, the connect- connectivity that students have at home is simply insufficient. And it isn't just the connectivity. Our research is showing that, you know, it's the configuration, it's the d- device. School districts bought a lot of devices, and they're buying even more now because of the new emergency connectivity fund. And our big less a top line lesson is that. Um, some of those inexpensive devices do not have the the capacity, the internal processing, or the antennas to do uh, video conferencing. And that Mm -hmm. is, you know, and and the other thing is we talk about the down, I have to, I don't want to get geeky and I can't get geeky (laughs) because I'm not geeky, but you know the FCC has said for at home for a household you have broadband if you get 25 megabits down that will work fine for your Netflix video but they say and this was their goal defined for a whole household was three megabits up because you don't have to send very much back up to Netflix when you're watching that movie but if you're doing remote learning you have to have and so we've recommended a new broadband goal for at school at's at-home learning and that is 25 down per student but 12 up per student and you know the vast majority of school of uh, households have i think it's like 60% have more than one student in the household not to mention parents working from home like you and i are doing today yes so all of that it creates a real complexity as we think about the equity of making sure that students can do things at home.
0: Yeah, well, so it's become clear that the, I mean these were needs that were there before the pandemic, right? I mean these right. are the things that we talked about in terms of assuring. Um, I think culturally and behaviorally, we're still like, well, it's a little bit of a luxury, or it's too expensive, or this is the way we've always done it. The pandemic has proven out that, no, this is absolutely a necessity. Uh, do you see going forward, what what level of hybrid and um, synchronous, I mean, all, all these things that have been foisted upon the education community, um, are they going to stick around once, once we go back to whatever a new normal is, or to what it, degree? It's a great,
1: great question. And, uh, you know, the interesting thing is uh, five minutes before I was uh, ca- coming on this podcast, I uh, Senator Murray, the chairwoman of um, the Senate Appropriations Committee, has put in bipartisan legislation um, to address digital equity and provide some money for it. And obviously, there is this short-term temporary emergency uh, $7 billion over at the FCC under the E-rate program for home connectivity. But that will go away unless Congress takes some action to create a permanent solution. So we, I think there's a, a whole lot of awareness. And um, it actually, just this week, the National School Boards put out a new survey. I don't know if you've looked at it, Kevin. No. But it's pretty fascinating. It looked, it was a, a survey of voters and parents. And it was a 1000. It was done in a bipartisan way. It was done by Celinda Lake, the Democratic firm and a Republican firm. And what they found was across the board by parents and voters, uh, and they, they double down on states that will have competitive Senate races this coming year or next year. Uh, and parents and vo- all voters uh, are saying that they, they definitely see that home broadband for students to learn is a top priority. Uh, it was between 67% to, and it was even higher for Democrats but it wasn't that much lower for Republicans. So what their advice, Selinda Lake was saying, you know, and the Republican pollster is, you know, if you're a politician, this is the thing you should be talking to because regardless of whether you're from Alaska, you're Lisa Murkowski or whether you're Chuck Schumer in New York City, you, this is a concern across urban and rural, across Republican and Democratic, and um, it's one that voters want action.
0: Yeah and that you know that was yet another piece of your survey which reminded me of just another kind of mind bending uh, aspect of change that has happened and that is the the connectivity uh, with parents and the inclusion of parents in all of these conversations now i've written about edtech for a long time i probably written four stories before the pandemic that actually even asked a parent or involved a parent in a purchasing decision when it comes to the technology. It was always the administrators or the faculty. Um, talk a little bit about that. I mean, that well, me I just, think you're
1: right that that's one of the most interesting things about the pandemic, that there's been this sea change of who is your customer. I mean, clearly, um, you know, teachers and students were customers when, especially in those districts that were one-to-one. But the way in which they did the tech support, (laughs) you know, the student brought in the broken device and and, and into school, that wasn't happening this last year. And so schools districts had to provide a lot of remote support and providing it not only to teachers but to students and parents that they, and so I think they're, they're learning that if you really do want to provide ubiquitous access, you have to explain to parents you know why you can't put your router behind your tv or behind a brick wall uh, you may have to explain to them that your be- the broadband isn't the problem you need amplifiers that that bring especially if you have a larger house with several people working in different parts of it It's not a simple solution like here it is turning on and it's going to work
0: right right although i mean and we could go on, <laughs> and I I, I wanted to keep us within my, my half hour uh, time limit here. But all in all, this conversation, I mean, I really see there are lots of silver silver linings that are coming out of this, right? I mean, even just the fact that parents are learning yeah. how to do these things. I mean, it's maybe is this is that emphasis again going back to that this might be the time.
1: Absolutely. And I think just parent expectations around learning with technology have very much changed. They continue to be supportive, uh, but they also see the downside of what some some things that were happening that weren't so good. Uh, And I I think uh, likewise, uh, parents are saying, and again, it says this in the NSBA survey, you know, about the, you know, that there are, and i think the ed week survey says the same thing that you know one out of five students are doing better than they ever did face to face lots of students want to get back in, in, into school but there's that bigger majority of students that that probably want more ability to be self-paced and self-directed and technology is a way to do that even if you are back in the traditional school and i think policymakers have definitely awakened to, um, you know, the, that the world has changed. Now, it's a great question of how much change will survive and when and what will just snap back to what was the normal. But we know from all the research, you know, whether it's been economic crises in the past or or, uh, tur- or natural disasters like hurricanes, tornadoes, floods, and in this instance, a pandemic, crisis that are the time when changes can really happen. Mm -hmm. There's And really, if you think over the history of the last, I don't know, (laughs) certainly our our lifetime, but I would guess the last 500 years, this is one of the most global um, changes for education in delivering with technology that we've ever seen. So I don't think the genie is going to go back in the bottle to say that, well, now we're going to collect the, the Chromebooks or the laptops and we're going to turn off the Wi-Fi. Yeah. Uh, the teacher, the, actually, the, we didn't talk much about teacher changes, but uh, you know, the, their, their experience with technology, um, while it may have been frustrating and done with too little professional development, their self-assessment um, you know, even three months into the survey, into the uh, pandemic, uh, EdWeek surveyed uh, teachers, and 44% said their skills had uh, using technology significantly increased. Another 41% said somewhat. Well, you and I have been along around long enough to know that you know that big of a change in just three months has never been seen in our lifetime.
0: No, it's a total. It's another total myth buster, right? And I think from the from the teacher perspective of faculty who used to be worried that technology was going to somehow replace them, it became very clear that teachers are obviously essential and the technology cannot replace them, but it can only help them.
1: <laughs> and I don't think we're going to go back to, especially at the middle and high school level, to face-to-face uh, parent nights or where they will be available virtually also, because <laughs> the numbers are dramatic in terms of the, and w- this survey that we just did, we asked, how are you communicating with parents? And, you know, off the chart in terms of uh, having much more regular, m- using technology to do it um, in a whole variety of different ways that I'd, I think parents are going to expect and hopefully can be, you know, kind of a, a help, or help on, on, uh, uh, on teaching and learning.
0: Sure. I mean, if nothing else, it's like that. And this is anecdotal, just to have a five-minute Zoom call with a college guidance counselor uh, versus getting in the car, driving an hour, sitting in an office. And some of those power dynamics are a little strange that are are removed when we're all here in the uh, in the Zoom rooms, right? I mean, you can kind of have this this the strange intimacy that you might not have when you're in in someone's office. Um, Again. all more pluses that um, we'll continue yeah. to, to track and watch.
1: And I think you're going to see, you know, a lot of change around the ways districts do professional development. And mm-hmm. you know, the same professional development for every teacher at a particular day at a particular time in a particular room—that's uh, not what they want. And yeah. That there's different ways to do that and to deliver it asynchronously or or to do it you know remotely you know you don't have to do it in the conference room you don't have to make all of your principals drive down to the central office to meet with the superintendent this they're they're just different ways of doing things
0: well you go back to your netflix model you can flip through and watch 15 minutes on uh, on yep. professional development modules instead of uh yeah you know Brigadoon, or whatever you're going to watch on Netflix. Yeah. Well, Keith, once again, uh, thank you so much for your time. Uh, so much to uh, to chew on here, and uh, what's great about it is now that it seems that the fall is going to be as normal as we could hope. Uh, what whatever normal means anymore, uh, that we can watch all of these changes con- to continue to development to d- d- develop. And uh, thank you for your work, and and thank you for your, you know being able to get this data together because this is highly valuable for uh, educators everywhere. And I look forward to seeing you in person, hopefully uh, sooner than than Cozen. When when's, when's the next uh, Cozen in person event?
1: will be next April, and
0: we'll be in Nashville.
1: So That's fantastic. It'll be a fun location.
0: That'll be that'll be a great bookend for me because I I believe it was. Cozen uh, uh, first taking it uh, down at the beginning of the
1: that's true yeah we uh, uh, we're literally on uh, um, Friday the 13th <laughs> when most school districts closed uh, we were supposed to start that weekend uh, in Washington DC so we went virtual I think we were the first national education conference. We moved it to May, but we've now done two fully virtual. So Nashville will be interesting because we'll be trying to do some things in a blended way. So we certainly want people who can come to Nashville, but our numbers were dramatically up this last year uh, by doing a fully virtual. So we know there's team members who can't travel and we'll offer some aspect. It won't be exactly the same. And we're figuring
0: out all those details. That's great. And uh, yeah, practice what we preach a little bit, right? A little bit of uh, hybrid learning. (laughs) Well, thanks again, Keith. I appreciate your time uh, and look forward to uh, seeing you again soon.
1: All right. Have a great day.
0: Thanks. And thanks everybody for watching. And I hope you click around and find another episode soon.